Well, good morning. I know I've spoken this before about my love for Vajrayana, Tantric Buddhism. It's not because it's esoteric or obscure. Uh, it was partially because of what I had access to, but most importantly because of its uh, really uh, concerted effort to uh, distill the teachings. Uh, so I'm going to give another example. We talked about Yogacara and Chittamatra. I have come up with something as well interesting that I didn't really notice before, how the Tibetans, they'll mention Hinayana, Theravadin, but they don't mean it in a negative way. They'll talk about, um, they'll talk about the, the lower, not lesser, the lower practice, because this is the beginning. They see it as a beginning, and they feel they have it within. And I'll give you an example. The lamb rim is considered the stages of the path. It's based on Atisha's 11th century text called The Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment. It was an attempt to try to understand um, the core teachings of the Buddha himself, the Pali Canon, and to try to distill it, uh, and obviously added a little bit of their flair with the Mahayana, with the Bodhisattva vow, and you know, liberating all sentient beings. So they're trying to bring everything together. So what's beautiful about Lamrim is, is not only can you access all of these uh, documents online now, what I found out is, is um, someone, Thubten uh, Chodron, someone who have had uh, a CD for a long time, they've actually made this freely available online. So you can do a search for, um, for the Lamrim, Thubten Chodron, uh, you'll find on SoundCloud and Shambhala even has a webpage uh, linking to these guided meditations. What's beautiful about them is they're complete. Okay, there's 40-some meditations. There's an introduction to give you an idea of what we've just gone through. There's meditating on the Buddha. There's a breathing meditation, a recitation, and a dedication. Now, you can do a combination of those as your uh, beginning practice. And then you can move into, say, the mind is a source of happiness and pain, right? So we're talking about the, uh, the worldly winds, we're talking about duality, we're talking about the dependent origination of all things. I mean, uh, even the, the marks of existence, right? Taking the ache out of attachment is another one, right? Transforming attachment, the nature of the mind. And I can scroll down, equanimity, seeing all sentient beings as having been our parents. That's equanimity again. So this practice is wonderful. So I highly recommend you go take a look at, uh, let me make sure here, Thubden Chodron. Never made an attempt to try to get Tibetan right. It's just so far from what I'm able to pronounce. Take a look uh, at the guided lamb rim meditations. And I highly suggest that you really take this to heart because it's a wonderful practice. Uh, for me, I've been practicing the Tibetan yogas since I was a little guy. Uh, it was one of uh, the first English texts for Buddhism I was able to get. So it was one of the most comfortable books I was able to read through. So it seems weird because I was really not a very good reader um, because of my learning disability, but uh, I had become to get quite... Actually, it might have worked out for me now that I think back because I was... Uh, forced to concentrate so intensely because if I just allowed myself to skim text as you would normally, I wouldn't retain any of it. And of course, I'm looking to retain it all. And a lot of these words, I think this is what forced me to learn how to read. A lot of these words were in Tibetan and all these, just nothing that my dyslexic mind 
had memorized by by uh, sight. That's how I read at the time, right? Uh, because I'd been uh, uh, diagnosed with uh, the learning disability around the same time at about 16 years old. So I had been reading, and again, my reading was better than my writing. I still have a very difficult time expressing myself, but writing is, is still quite horrible because it's really difficult to practice, and I honestly never admitted it that I needed to practice. But the reading was something that I did. So again, I started in French, and uh, a lot of this stuff was in French, uh, which was great. Uh, and then I found this book, which is uh, Tibetan Yoga and Secret Doctrines. And it got into a lot of this stuff, the Chode, Rites, and Lam Rim, Nature of Self. So this is what I've been practicing for a very long time. So for me, it's always been... Uh, very close to my heart and, and that may have been because they said that I mean I just finished saying that in my previous podcast that you have to be careful not to uh, attach your insights to the guru and here here was me um, because as example uh, on break working in a mall when I was just a kid I uh, was able to pick up a book from the bookstore. It was a special order, and it was a recent translation of the uh, Tibetan Book of Natural Liberation in the Between States, the Bardo Thadul, the Tibetan Book of Dead. And uh, it was really well done, and it gave me uh, a tremendous amount of insights into the nature of self and reality, and honestly, some simple things as, right, if you're carrying around the hurt trauma that was caused you know at any time in the past that's all on you uh, and that was transformative for me so uh, in no small part this is why uh, I've always made uh, the tantric Tibetan a big part of my practice the other side was as I was taught Sanskrit early I had initially thought I'd become a philosopher with uh, existentialism and, and uh, Nietzsche as, as well. I was a big fan. But um, I was actually f forced to, to look at some other uh, things. And it was a combination of having had access to one of the foremost Sanskrit teachers at the time in the world. I mean outside of, I don't know what was in India, but at least in the West. And it having been lost, a lost language. And so for me, that had a lot of fascination. Now, they weren't translating Buddhist stuff at the time, so I was actually um, learning with the Gita and the Upanishads and later the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali and some Kashmiri Shaivism stuff, but Sanskrit. And that, again, kept me in the Mahayana camp for so long. And even having decades of practice, not having really seen this first step being arguably the Theravadan path. Until I'd ran into some of these difficult times that you can run into. They consider it uh, stage eight in the 37 stages of a bodhisattva, where you just feel that everything's r r rallied against you. And for me, using compassion, which was my main, right, having come from trauma and 
in all sorts of trouble, a lot of the strife even being internal. I used compassion, right? But I was never explained, and I've learned since, that it could be partially because the Western mind has something that the Eastern mind never really even understood, the self-loathing aspect. So for me, I didn't realize it wasn't taught it, and I just ignored it. I thought I can just keep applying compassion. But half-heartedly, this is why I talk about sati sampanjana. Not just, are you being mindful? In my case, are you being mindful of being compassionate to oneself? But sati sampanjana, are you really applying it? So, yeah, I'm applying compassion to myself. But without the sampanjana, I don't go, oh, wait a minute, dude. You're not really being compassionate. You're giving yourself that, you know, lip service. Do you really forgive yourself for being a human? Do you really forgive yourself for making mistakes? Do you, do you really treat yourself as equal? Or do you put others ahead of yourself? That's true equanimity. And that's the lesson that I've learned. And I'll leave it at that. This was supposed to be short. Once again, I apologize. <laughs>